I got a few. First Lieutenant Sam Woodfill, M Company, 3rd Battalion, 60th Infantry Regiment, AEF, Cunel, France, October 12th, 1918. Hey folks, that smooth mocha voice you hear is me, Mike. So, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast, episode 84, Woodfill's Rampage. Alright, let's get back to the narrative episodes here. Some shoutouts are in order, however. Patreon shoutouts to Curtis Fenster Mitternach. And Robert, for becoming new patrons there. Thank you so, so much for joining up. I really appreciate it. I'll save the pitch for this episode, but hey, sign up for as little as a dollar. Support the show. Okay. I have already said this in my Lost Battalion Tours tour recap in the previous episode, but our summer tour included a Medal of Honor Day. That day saw us make three stops on the Meuse-Argonne battlefield, where John Barclay fought from an abandoned tank near Madeline Farm, in Châtel-Cherry, where Alvin York and his patrol overcame much larger German forces, and where Sam Woodfill took on enemy machine gun and sniper nests in Cunel, France. It was a great day out in the field, a lot of fun, and we had an awesome time seeing where those very events, written about in history books and repeated in podcasts, actually happened. You've heard Barclays and York's stories. Now it's time to hear Woodfills. On the tour, Rob Laplander told the story I'm about to tell you, and he did a damn good job of it. The title of this episode and text references actually come from the section of our tour booklet on Woodfill, which Rob wrote. And real quick, if the idea of walking the ground where men earned their medals of honor in the Great War uh, sounds interesting to you, you should consider joining our tour in 2023. I think you'll have great fun. Rob and I will be heading back out to the Meuse-Argonne and perhaps a new area as well. Email me, and I'll get you on the context list for next year. To get the background, the American 5th Division was ordered up to the 3rd Corps line to relieve the battered 4th and 80th Divisions. One of the regular Army Divisions, the Red Diamond Doughboys of the 5th were mostly career Army men, with a number of draftees amongst them. 
formed in December of 1917, the 5th had served in the front lines already. It had seen a few fights, mainly in the Sondier sector and in the Samuel Salient, and it had taken a good number of casualties. Of course, the Meuse Offensive was a different game, much more intense than anything the soldiers of the 5th had seen yet. The 5th Division consisted of the 9th and 10th Infantry Brigades, and it was the 9th Brigade that was tasked with the relief operation. The brigade's two infantry regiments, the 60th and the 61st, deployed left to right and moved out with orders to push past the current lines of the 4th and 80th Divisions. Once the lead battalions were in the battle area, patrols were pushed out to gather information on the exact whereabouts of the enemy. One of the doughboys on those patrols was 1st Lieutenant Samuel Woodfill of M Company, 3rd Battalion, 60th Infantry Regiment. Like many other men in the 5th, by October 1918, the powerfully built and square-jawed Woodfill had long since been in uniform. Born in Jefferson City, Indiana in 1883, Sam Woodfill grew up listening to stories his father would tell him. Dad had served in the Army during both the Mexican War in 1847 and later on during the American Civil War. The young child eagerly ate up all the stories. In 1901, an 18-year-old Sam signed up for the U.S. Army, and from there on lay his path. Woodville was sent to the Philippines, where he saw action combating Filipino insurgents. From there, he was shipped off to Alaska after re-enlisting, and he spent years there. By the time the United States entered the Great War, Woodville was a lieutenant in the infantry. If that sounds like a long time to become a junior officer, know that it was not related to his performance. Prior to World War I, the American Army was a small national force. Rank was attached to the unit, and also hard to come by. Woodville was fired up for combat on the Western Front. It was what he had signed up for. So he was only too happy to get out on a patrol on the night of the 11th to the 12th of October and get into action. He did. Out on patrol, Woodfill set off a German booby trap that rattled his brain and knocked him out for a spell. When he came to, he gathered himself, found that he was in one piece, and reported back to his company. Orders had come down before 0600 on the 12th for M Company and the rest of 3rd Battalion to push up past 80th Division lines and take the Bois de Poultier, which sits north of the village of Cunel. Woodfield led his men out into the heavy fog of that autumn morning in the Meuse, heading towards Cunel. Cunel village sits on the gentle slope of a rising hill. To approach it from the south, you must come down off the crest and down into a valley. It is built in the shape of a backwards capital L. The D-123 road that forms the bottom of the L curves once before entering the village and features several homes and barns, as well as the gunfire-scarred Cunnell Church 
in the square, roughly where the two legs of the L meet. The D-123 curves out and on through low ground until you reach the eastern entrance of the Meurs-Argon American Cemetery, about a kilometer away. The D-15 road runs over the hill and through Bois de Cunel south of the village and on to form the standing leg of the backwards L. That road then continues north until you reach Bunteville. The fog cleared as the Americans approached the southern edge of Cunel. The Germans could now see the oncoming Americans up close and in the open. They opened fire. The Americans went down in heaps as the machine gun bullets slammed into their bodies. In the chaos of dying men and heavy gunfire, Lieutenant Woodfill ordered the survivors to get down and hold their positions. Picking two privates to come with him, he then took off to determine where the fire was coming from. Woodfill quickly found several spots from which machine gun fire was pouring out. First was an old barn building up ahead on the southeast end of Cunel. Second was a machine gun nest in the Bois de Poultiers behind and above the barn on the slope of the hill. Third was a machine gun position in the tower of Cunel Church. First Lieutenant Sam Woodfill had been itching to get into action. Here he was, in it now. Woodfill got up and began a precision rampage against the enemy forces in front of him. So, did I mention that years of being stationed in Alaska had allowed Woodfill to hone his marksmanship skills through game hunting? I didn't. Well, yes, years of being stationed in Alaska had allowed Woodfill to hone his marksmanship skills through game hunting. Woodfield determined that the gunner in the church tower had to go first. He sighted on the belfry and saw where the muzzle flashes were coming from. Aiming at a spot above the flashes, he slowly fired a five-round clip into that area, in between breaks when the gun went silent. What was happening was that one shot would kill a German soldier, and then there was a break as another soldier manned the gun. Woodfield shot five enemy soldiers this way, and he shot using his rifle's iron sights at 300 yards, roughly 275 meters. It was a stunning way to prove that American emphasis on individual marksmanship skills could indeed pay dividends on the battlefield. When the gun finally went silent, Woodfield turned to the barn directly ahead and to his right. He saw where muzzle flashes were coming from a hole in the gable, and he did the same thing. He fired one well-aimed shot above the muzzle flash. The gun went silent, its gunner dead or otherwise out of action. Woodfield had now taken out two gun positions. It was time to move before his current position was lit up by German fire. Woodfield got up and ran forward on his own. A shell hole appeared up ahead, so he jumped into it and got out of sight. As soon as he did, however, his eyes began to burn and his lungs tightened. Damn it, the shell hole was filled with mustard gas. With burning tears blurring his vision, Woodfield clawed out of the hole and stumbled toward a bush that could provide some concealment. From the bush, he shifted to a small knoll, then ran across the road and into a ditch. From there, 
he hustled over to a large pile of gravel that gave him a better view of the wood line higher up on the slope. Scanning the wood line with his burning eyes, Woodfill found the gun barrel sticking out of some foliage 40 to 50 meters away. Focusing his burning eyesight and his rifle sights on the spot, he somehow made out the face of the German gunner as well as the camouflaged helmet the man wore. Woodfill fired his rifle once. The gun went silent. But it was quickly back up and firing again. Woodfill repeated his action with the church tower. He aimed above the gun each time it began firing. He fired four more times, and four more enemy gunners were eliminated. Woodfill got up and ran towards the machine gun nest. As he did, a German, said to be an officer, suddenly appeared and ran away from Woodfill. The American officer pulled his pistol and put a bullet through the running man's head at 40 yards. He reached the nest to find a gory scene of dead Germans with head wounds, his deadly work with his rifle. Woodfield kept going, moving past the corpse of another dead German officer. Coming up on it, the corpse suddenly reached out and grabbed his rifle, ripping it out of Woodville's hands. Flush with success, the German reached for his own pistol. Woodville shot him dead before he could. He now moved into the Bois de Poultier woods, north of Cunel. Other Americans were in the woods as well, fighting the defending Germans. Moving forward carefully, Woodfill located yet another machine gun crew. With five steady shots, he killed five more men, eliminating yet another point of enemy resistance. Three young ammunition carriers surrendered as soon as he approached this new gun position. The American lieutenant sent them packing to the rear. Another machine gun team was up ahead. The wood was alive with them, or perhaps more accurately in the terms of the time, it was lousy with them. Woodfill hit the ground and slid forward in a crawl to get into a better position, taking fire from and returning it to a German sniper up somewhere ahead. He went to work again, firing one well-aimed shot at each German gunner who presented themselves. When the gun ceased firing, he knew he had taken out the crew. The gun itself, though, was still a threat. He got up and ran towards it, hoping to disable it. A new group of Germans nearby opened fire on him, and Woodfield jumped into an enemy trench. He had his forty-five in his hand, and it was a good thing he did. The trench was full of Germans. I imagine that at this point, Woodfield was operating on basic survival instincts and pure adrenaline. He shot a German as the man tried to raise his own pistol. As this man dropped, another German came up from behind him. Woodfield fired at him too. Click. The pistol had jammed. Grabbing the first weapon-like object he could see, he put his hands on a German pickaxe and swung the pointed end straight into the oncoming man's skull. The German dropped, killed instantly by the blow. The other German he'd shot got up, having been wounded. He fired a shot at Woodfield but just missed him. Woodfield brought the pickaxe down on the man and killed him as well. He climbed out of the trench and continued on into the woods. A German runner crossed paths with him, and Woodfield dropped him. Reconnecting with his men, he was shown a tree up ahead with a sniper in it. 
Woodfield shot him dead with yet another well-aimed rifle shot. With the southern end of the Bois de Poultier lost, the Germans began shelling it heavily, drained from the rampaging fight he had just had and coughing up vile things from the gas poisoning. Woodfield and the others pulled out of the woods. They made it back to 3rd Battalion headquarters, where Woodfield was asked by the commander how he did out there. I got a few, said Woodfield. Yeah, I know you did, said the battalion commander. He had already heard all about this lieutenant's superhuman feat of arms. Word of Sam Woodfield went up the military lines, all the way to General John Pershing himself. In February 1919, Pershing would pin the Medal of Honor on Woodfield's chest. He would also promote him to captain on the spot. In 1921, Pershing declared Sam Woodfield the most outstanding soldier of the World War, shocking many, as the Sergeant York story had long since been grabbing everyone's attention. To Pershing, though, Woodfield was the example of American soldier he wanted to hold up. Woodfield was a well-trained professional who had driven himself forward to clear the line and complete the mission. This was no reluctant warrior. Despite this impressive act of soldiering by one extraordinary soldier, he was but one man on a churning front of millions of men locked in a deadly embrace with death. Woodfield had not broken the enemy line, nor destroyed the German army by himself. No one man could do that, of course. But all of this pressure, as exhausting as it was to the American Expeditionary Force, was having effects on the German Kriemhildestellung. Cracks were appearing in spots in that line. What was needed was continued pressure now, and surely the line would break. Next episode... We'll get into the trenches yet again as the 32nd and 42nd Divisions take on the vaunted Hindenburg Line. Questions, comments, concerns, please don't hesitate to contact me at verdunpodcast at gmail.com. Get at me on Twitter at at WW1podcast. And check out the BFWWP website, firstworldwarpodcast.com, for some photos. And check out the battles of the First World War podcast page on the Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you again soon. Take care.